Good morning. It's good to have all of you here this morning. Hey, Forest Star, I just wanted to uh, recognize, uh, I know not all of you uh, will remember, but uh, there was several years back, uh, Pastor Todd Leed and his wife Jennifer served here as our associate pastors. And Jennifer is here this morning uh, visiting family from Florida. Stand up, Jennifer, so everyone can see. There she is, yay. If you re yeah, welcome, good to have her back. If you get a chance after the service and uh, remember Jennifer, I know that, that she'd love to just say hi to you and reconnect there. So uh, great to have you here this morning. Um, also, just want to, before we get into uh, the message this morning, I kind of threw this uh, opportunity, challenge, whatever you want to call it out there last week. And a lot of you know RAGBRAI's um, coming through here in a couple of weeks, and we're going to be doing a lot of things uh, as the riders are going to be here uh, for an overnight on Wednesday of that rag by rag bri week. And so one of the challenges that we've kind of had is uh, not just, you know, how do you feed a multitude like that, but how do you witness? How do you reach out? How do you do outreach to a multitude of people like that? And so one of the things that we're going to do is um, uh, well, actually two things uh, really uh, that we're going to kind of do to focus on that outreach is um, Pastor Jim's going to be uh, leading uh, the prayer room uh, will be open. I think from like 2 to 5 that day. So if you're interested maybe in praying for people that would come, uh, that would be an opportunity to serve uh, as part of the outreach in the community. And also we're going to be kind of handing out some uh, tracks. I started talking about this last week. Uh, two of them, you know, do all roads lead to heaven. It kind of gives a comparison of the four major world religions and kind of talks about, you know, every, every one of the religions claim to be the truth, the way. Now, Christianity is no different um, than that. You know, get people sometimes say, oh, you Christians, you're so narrow-minded. Not really. Um, you know, we may be narrow-minded, but so is every other religion because they claim that they have the answers, they're the truth, they're the one true road that leads to heaven. We are no different in that regard. We just have a resurrected Christ that backs up our claims that no other world religion has. And that's kind of what this brochure kind of leads the reader through is to help them understand that we are making no different claim than any other world religion. We just have the risen Savior that backs that up. And so basically this all roads lead to heaven uh, thing just really kind of helps them to understand why we believe as Christians that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. Our hope is, is that as people come through and purchase a meal, we'll be able to give them one of these tracks. There's another one, um, For God So Loved the World. World, again, that just talks about the unconditional love of God. And so uh, they're, they're just very well done. Uh, they're uh, very attractive, eye-catching. Our hope is, is that as people come through, pay for a meal, bottle water, uh, if, if people are kind of milling around outside there uh, and want to pass out tracks, our hope is, and one of the things I like about these is they're so light, they're so thin, is even if the writer chooses not to read it, at that point. It is something that they may be very tempted to just kind of slip into their backpack uh, because it is so light and maybe when they get home and kind of unpack from RAGBRAI and pull out the brochure, it may be an opportunity then that they take time to read that and, and God is able to speak to them through that. And so what we're offering is these come in packs of 50 for 1750. Um, this, many of you uh, gave last week, um, and so again, we want to just put this opportunity out there. If you would like to purchase a pack of 50 or 100, uh, just give accordingly, $17.50 per pack. We're going to get those ordered and have those available, so it's just a way that you can kind of help us in that outreach 
um, effort this morning. So again, we appreciate everybody's support last week, and let's just continue uh, building on that um, even this week. We're continuing in our series we started kind of at the beginning of the summer, and we're talking about God's favorite stories, which are the parables that Jesus told. And today we're going to look at the parable of the talents, what the video was talking about there. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, I encourage you to open those to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to be beginning there. Uh, our focus will be in verse 14. Now, what is so interesting to me about this particular parable is Jesus is really addressing and he is answering a very specific question that was asked at the very beginning of chapter 24. Now we're going to be looking at chapter 25 beginning at verse 14, but there was a question that was posed to Jesus clear back in chapter 24 in verse 1. And I say that to you because if you just begin to read this parable that we're going to look at this morning, and you just begin to open chapter 25, go to verse 14, it is very easy to lose or to be unaware of the context in which we find this parable of the talents. So again, if you go back to chapter 24, verse 1, it gives us the context which eventually leads us into the parable of the talents. So in chapter 24, verse 1, Jesus left the temple, was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings, the temples, cathedrals. And Jesus said, do you see all of these things? He said, truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another, every one will be thrown down. Now, a little later as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples again come to him privately, and they said, tell us, they said, when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age or the end of the dispensation? And then beginning in verse 4, if you've got your Bibles, you can see this, especially if you've got the Bible where the words of Jesus are in red. Jesus begins a very lengthy response to the disciples' inquiry. That's where I get that from. You ask me a question and I give a very lengthy response. I get that from Jesus. <laughs> and you see it begins there in chapter 24 and verse 4, and it continues through chapter 24 and through the, entire, the entirety of chapter 25. So by the time you get to this parable of the talents, well into chapter 25, and you read that in isolation or separated from the context in which the parable is given, okay, you may miss a great part of the impact of what Jesus was trying to convey as he responds to that question posed by the disciples there in the beginning of chapter 24. This parable we're going to look at today, in part, is a response to that question. What are the signs? What are we looking for? What are the indicators that tell us you're coming back again and what is going to be the end of the age? And so the parable of the talents opens in verse 14 saying, for the kingdom of God, um, the kingdom of heaven, depending on your translation, 
For the kingdom of heaven is just like a man about to go on a journey. And then he launches into this parable, the talents, among other parables and explanations throughout chapter 24 and 25. All of this is in an attempt to respond to one question posed in chapter 24, verse 3. What are the signs of your coming? What are the indicators of the end of this dispensation? Now, the other interesting thing that really kind of fascinates me about Jesus' response there in chapter 24 and verse 25 is that Jesus seems to be describing two ways, very unique, very separate ways these signs will manifest themselves. One being, I, I kind of look at this more in the physical realm, and then there kind of seems to be signs and indicators in the spiritual realm. So if you begin to kind of look at this, in chapter 24, what you find is Jesus is kind of giving them physical signs, physical indicators, things that they can see, observe with their eyes. And he kind of goes on and, and he says, these are the signs that are going to take place on the physical earth. So Jesus points to physical, visible, outward signs that are going to take place upon the earth, and they will be indicators, they will be signs of his impending return. I mean, these are signs like people falsely claiming to be the Christ. You see that in verse 5. Wars and rumors of war in verse 6. Famines and earthquakes in verse 7. Tribulations, persecutions in verse 9, false prophets in verse 11, and some of these indicators um, are repeated in other verses. There's other places where Jesus goes into greater detail and description um, of, of this. But all of these are signs that Jesus refers to there in chapter 24 as physical, outward, visible signs and indicators of events that will happen upon the earth. And those events will serve as indicators and reminders of his second coming. Then, what is interesting to me is in chapter 25, verse 1, Jesus says, then, and he's attaching to what he just said there in 24, then he said, the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to, and then he kind of seems to shift into uh, and away from the physical signs upon the earth to spiritual signs and indicators of what will be taking place upon the earth at the same exact time. So you're going to have all of these physical signs and indicators, and you're going to have spiritual signs and indicators of what is going on. He says there will be both physical and spiritual signs and indicators that are going to take place upon the earth leading up to my return. Two kingdoms he's talking about here. The earthly kingdom and the spiritual kingdom. He said the kingdom of heaven. He said one set of signs in the earthly kingdom, one set of signs in the heavenly kingdom. Physical signs and physical happenings upon the earth in tandem, in unison, in cooperation almost with signs and events occurring upon the earth. And he says, all of this is going to be cumulative 
in that they are pointers, indicators, signs of his return and the end of this dispensation. Now, one of the reasons for this, in part, is because one set of events can serve as a very strong sign and warning to the unbeliever. Whenever you have wars, rumors of war, famines, earthquakes, persecution, suffering, nation rising against nation, one of the outcomes and consequences of events like that is it has the capacity to kind of shake people from their spiritual slumber. It can cause fear to come upon people and kind of jolt them out of this spiritual complacency and out of that fear they begin or they there's the potential to begin looking outside of themselves for an answer a sense of peace a sense of well-being it also causes many people to consider god is there a god and if so where is he How can I get to know him? It it, it launches people into a spiritual search. So these signs in the physical realm can be very, very beneficial to an unbeliever. I remember 9-11. Following 9-11, there was kind of just this momentary surge um, in church attendance. Because of the events of 9-11, it caused people who were perhaps not inclined to go to church, who maybe did not see themselves as overtly spiritual, it kind of woke them up, and it kind of just momentarily engaged them. It it kind of caused them to maybe go to church, to maybe to seek out spiritual answers, uh, a spiritual search that maybe they had never done before. And so these physical signs that Jesus talks about In chapter 24, again, they have the potential to serve as a powerful wake-up call for the unbeliever. Whereas both sets of events described in chapter 24 and 25, the physical and the spiritual signs and indicators, can serve as a powerful reminder and confirmation for the believer. So it, it has a dual purpose there. So when we as Christians encounter these same physical signs as an unbeliever, rather than react with fear, we should be able to look at wars, rumors of war, earthquakes, famine, and see those signs and reminders, hallelujah, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. These are really here just to remind me. This world is not my home. We talked about that last week. These are just things that remind us we're just passing through. This is not eternal. This is temporal. This world is not my home. And until that day comes, Jesus is basically saying to the disciples, these events are going to happen on the earth, and they're going to be a reminder and a confirmation of that fact. Now, that is the introduction to the parable I want to get to this morning. Because again, if you, if you don't really understand the context, it's very, very easy to kind of read through this and kind of just gloss over a lot of very, very important things I think Jesus was trying to teach his disciples and is trying to teach us. And, and so he says to the disciples, what I want you to understand is that there are ways that the physical earth is going to operate at that time. 
um, leading up to my return, leading up to the second coming, leading up to the end of this age. He said, there are also things that are going to be happening in the kingdom of heaven at the same time. Those things are happening now, today, in tandem with all of these physical events we see in the world today. War, rumors of war, earthquake, famine, pestilence, persecution, tribulation. All of these things are happening in tandem with the kingdom of God. And so he is saying, I want you to understand, here is how the kingdom of heaven will be operating upon the earth as the time of my second coming approaches, as the end of this age approaches. I want you to understand how the kingdom of heaven will be operating upon the earth. As Jesus' return nears and this current age, current dispensation draws to a close, here is what the kingdom of heaven will look like as it is manifested upon the earth. He said there will be both physical signs, indicators, spiritual signs, and indicators proclaiming the return of Christ. Did you know? Do you know? Do you understand? Do you believe? The kingdom of heaven is operating right now upon the earth. It's imperfect. It's incomplete. It's hit and miss, mainly because of us. However, a day is coming when that kingdom of heaven will be unleashed perfectly, completely, and fully. Following the return of Christ, the end of this age, when a new age, a new dispensation begins, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be ushered in, again, fully, completely, and perfectly. But until that time comes, our mission, and Jesus is explaining to the disciples, your mandate as believers, as followers of Christ, is to live, to fulfill as best we can the kingdom of heaven upon this earth. And Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6.10. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I talked about that last week. God wants to bring heaven upon earth today. God wants things happening upon this earth just as they are happening in the heavens. And he's going to do that through you and me. He's going to do that through believers. He's going to do that through the church. This is why he took time to explain this to his disciples. God wants to usher in the kingdom of God upon the earth. He wants his will done upon earth just like it is in heaven. And every time... We do God's will upon the earth. It is ushering in his kingdom. Do you understand that? Do you realize how powerful that is? When you are living out the gospel, when you are doing the commands that Jesus tells us to do, when you are being obedient to the leading, the guiding, the prompting of the Holy Spirit, when you do what God is leading you to do, in part you are ushering in the kingdom of God upon this earth. That's the point Jesus is trying to make here to his disciples. That is why everywhere Jesus went, everything Jesus did, everything Jesus said, he was unleashing and ushering in the kingdom of God upon the earth. When he fed the hungry, he said, behold, the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
When he healed the sick, behold, the kingdom of God is breaking forth among you. When he taught the disciples and the multitudes with authority, behold, he said, the will of God is being done here upon the earth just as it is in heaven. And the same is true when you and I do the same things Jesus did. But he said, greater things shall you do because I'm going to go to my Father. And when I get there, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit the very means by which Jesus did and said all that he was able to do was because the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit was upon him and in him and through him. And he said that promise, that same promise, that same person, that same power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will do greater things than he did because there's more of us is what he meant. So Jesus gives them this parable as a way of understanding how the kingdom of heaven would be operating upon the earth as the time of his second coming and the end of his age approach. Does this make sense? Okay, I'll go with the three of you that got it. So Jesus is giving us a picture. He's giving us a parable of how the kingdom of God should currently be manifesting itself upon the earth through believers. And he says, um, even though it's going to be imperfect, even though it is going to be incomplete. Verse 14, he said, for it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. Now, Jesus is the man in this parable who is about to go on a journey. And his journey is his ascension back to his heavenly father's right hand following his death and resurrection. We are the slaves in the parable. We're the servants in the parable to whom Jesus has entrusted possessions to us. And so he kind of launches off in verse 15. And he said, to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, according each to his own ability. And then he just goes on his journey, spiritual gifts. Immediately, the one who had five talents went and traded with them, gained another five more talents. In the same manner, the one who received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent, I want you to pay attention to him because I believe, in part, the reason why the kingdom of God does not come more fully and more completely than it currently does is because we've got so many servants that are the one talent kind of guy. Churches are full of one talent kind of people. That God has given you gifts, talents, abilities, resources, and you've taken it and you just hit it. Churches full, not I'm not talking about this church. Even we've got our fair share of that in here. If I'm stepping on your toes, it's because you got them where they need to be this morning. I'm going to step on some toes this morning. Jesus was stepping on toes this morning. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you what. If you like this parable, it's because you don't understand it. Hear me on this one. The disciples did not like this parable. Because they understood its implications. They understood exactly what Jesus was saying. And oftentimes, and I'll get into this a, a little bit more, so I'll, I'll kind of come back to this. He says, now after a long time, the master of those slaves came. Do you know what that is? That's the second coming. 
That's when Jesus comes back. So he's saying, I'm going to go, I'm going to leave possessions, but I want you to understand, I'm coming back one day. And he said, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with him. You know what that's called? The judgment day of Christ. It's where we believers will appear before the Bema seat. Not the, not the uh, judgment of the dead, but the judgment of the living. See, if you're born again, you're part of the judgment of the living. And we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It just depends on whether you're going to appear before the seat of the unbeliever or the seat of the believer. He said there's coming a day or a time where he's going to reckon accounts, and that is, Paul refers to that as the Bema seat, the the judgment seat of Christ. And he said we're going to be given rewards for how we have managed these resources that we've been given. And the one who had received the five talents came up and bought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more talents. Master said to him, well done good and faithful slave or servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. And, and, and that many things is coming in the next age or, or dispensation. It, it may manifest in this life, but I'm guaranteeing you part of that reward is you are going to be given greater uh, rewards, greater responsibilities, greater resources in the kingdom to come. That's why it is so important to manage well now what you've been given so you can get more later. And then he says, enter into the joy of your master. The one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted me to two. See, I've gained two more talents. And again, Jesus is using the varying amounts here because it's not, it's not how much you got that's important. It's what you did with what you had. We're good into that too. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who would received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. Now, this is a man who has no knowledge or understanding of God. And our churches are full of that, too. And so oftentimes, we, again, we confuse the wheat for weeds. We take the things that, that uh, the enemy wants to do on our lives, and we think that it's God. You know, uh, and so this is, again, just, he just does not understand, the, uh, has no knowledge or very little knowledge of the, the person or the, the nature of God. And he basically comes and says, you're, you're a hard man. How many of you think God is a hard, hard taskmaster? Now, you may, you may be raising your hand on the inside. And again, that would be an indicator. You don't know. You, just, you need to get to know your heavenly father is, is the point of what he's saying here. He said, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed, and I was afraid. That's an indicator that you got the wrong picture of God. If you live in fear, if you're afraid of God, you don't know God. You are worshiping a false God. Um, And so he said, but his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow, gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put the money in the bank, and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has, uh, for everyone who has shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But the one who does not have even what he does have shall be taken away, cast out the worthless slave into the outer darkness in that place where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, let me just address this, uh, this point, because as soon as we hear the word talent, I mean, we immediately think about people's abilities, their aptitudes, their skills, and, and we say, yes, 
You know, we're all talented, we all have skills, we all have abilities, we need to bring those to bear upon the kingdom of God. And that's a lot of times how we understand the word talent. You know, I, I have a talent. America's got talent. And they get up on stage and show America their talent or lack thereof in some cases. But again, that's how we understand the word talent. That is not what Jesus meant by the word talent. In biblical days, talent was a unit of measurement. So, for example, you could have a pound of butter, a pound of flour, a pound of silver. So in Jesus' day, it would be referred to as a talent of silver, a talent of butter or ointment, a talent of coins. And in Jesus' day, a talent, when, when it was used um, in reference to coins, when it was being used and applied in money sense, it was considered a lot of money. Exodus 38 says that a talent was equal to 3,000 shekels. Now again, just to put that into today's terminology, um, it, one talent would be worth about $840,000 in, in American dollars today. So if you calculate that out into this parable, one guy was basically given, the first guy, the five talents, he was basically given uh, $4,200,000. The second guy was given $1,680,000. The third one who buried his talent was given $840,000. So now, even though in this parable these talents refer to money, what they really, really represent, what Jesus wants us to understand is these represent God-given abilities and they are divine opportunities to do something substantial and consequential and monumental in unleashing and ushering in the kingdom of God upon the earth. Will somebody please say amen? Either you're sleeping or under a lot of conviction this morning. Now, even though the servants and the parable got differing amounts in regards to the talents, the resources, the focus of the parable is not in how much they were given, but rather how well they used what they were given. In other words, it's not what you have, it's not how much you've been given that matters most to God. What matters most to God is what you do with what you have been given. Now to me, the most important and crucial aspect of this parable is God has called every believer to be a servant. And God has gifted Every servant with resources, skills, and abilities. And he expects and enables. That's what the Holy Spirit is there for. He's the enabler. He's the power. He's the dunamis. He's the dynamite in your work. He empowers and then he enables us to use those resources, skills, gifts, abilities, whatever you want to call it, to unleash and to usher the kingdom of God upon the earth and to bring honor and glory to God. Now again, you don't get this. This is why I, I've gone to so much pain. To, if you don't understand this, if you do not get this, the rest of the parable is a total waste and it's not even worth understanding. Every one of you here this morning there is not one disqualifier among you. Every one of you here this morning have 
gifts, abilities, and skills. And God expects, and he has enabled you to use whatever resources, gifts, skills, abilities he has given to you. Again, it is not the number. He expects you and enables you to use them to unleash and to usher in the kingdom of God upon this earth and to bring honor and glory to God. Every one of you in this room has something to use to make that happen. Again, it's not the number. It's not really even what that gift is that matters. It's are you using it? Are you leveraging your skills, your gifts, your resources, your abilities to usher in the kingdom of God upon the earth to bring honor and glory to God? Either you are or you aren't. You take whatever gift, resource, skill, and ability you have. Doesn't matter how big or small it is, God expects you and I to take this opportunity of the life we have been given and to do our part to bringing the kingdom of God upon this earth and to bring honor and glory to our heavenly Father. See, your talents, your abilities, your skills, they're just like money in that they need to be invested. They're intended to be invested. They were given to be invested. They weren't given for you just to use them for yourself, to serve yourself. To be stingy and self-focused. They were given to serve others. The tragedy is the third servant hid, buried the resources he was given. He squandered his opportunity to effectively use what was given to him. There are so many servants like that today in the church. You know the adage, 20% do 80% of the work. Why? Because the third servant has basically hidden and buried his talent, skill, and resource. He's not using what he has been given We sit around, scratch our heads, and wonder, and debate, and philosophize. Why isn't God doing something about all of the suffering, the injustice, the cruelty in the world? I'll tell you the truth is more. God is scratching his head and looking down from heaven and wondering, why have so many of you buried, hidden and you're just not using the resources, the gifts, the skills, the abilities you have been given to address all of these grievances, suffering, and injustice in the world. Instead of asking the question, God, why don't you do something? The question may need to be God asking us, why don't you do something? Why aren't you doing something? I've entrusted to you possession, skills, ability, and resources to do something about this. But there's so many third servants who have hidden and buried the talents, the resources, the skills that they've been given. And they're doing nothing. Oftentimes we look at all the chaos, the injustice, the things undone, and we say things like, well, God's in control. And then that is, that is just a, nothing but a justification to accept all that is happening as if 
It's all a part of God's plan, and we just need to accept it and live with it. This must be the way God wants it, because if he's in control and he doesn't do something about it, it must be because that's the way he wants it. That's our thinking. God is in control. I believe that. I believe in the sovereignty of God. aspects of the kingdom of God are not being done upon this earth because portions, vast portions of God's servants have chosen to bury, to ignore, or to misuse the resources God has given them in order that the kingdom of God will come upon the earth and God's will be done. See, one of the sobering aspects of this parable is all the servants were held accountable to how they used and invested their talents. Two of them were commended for their handling of their talents, given more, while the third servant was harshly rebuked, and what little he had was taken from him, and it was given to those who were diligent and faithful with what they had been given. I'm going to tell you what. I think most people would have a hard time believing this, especially in this culture today. God wants his people to be ambitious, aggressive, and determined. And I know oftentimes those three words can, can be like dirty words in today's culture of just depending on other people to do it all. Oh, she's just way too ambitious. Oh, he's just too aggressive. Hey, there's nothing wrong with ambition, aggression, and determination if it's channeled in the right direction for the right reasons. As Christians, we ought to expect great things from God just as God expects and enables us to do great things. We ought to be able to expect great things from God and we ought to attempt great things for God. And all of us hear this talk about success in life, and I wonder if the average person really even has a clue as to what real success is. I know there are a lot of definitions out there of what true success is, but I want to share one with you that I think is one of the best definitions of what I think real success is and something every believer ought to be striving for. Real true success is when you exercise your God-given responsibility to take advantage of every opportunity to use your God-given abilities to bring the kingdom of God upon this earth for the honor and glory of God. That is success. And that is a standard for all believers, and all of us should be striving towards that. Now, I want you to notice in that definition, I'm not talking about money. I didn't talk about fame, didn't mention fortune, didn't talk about climbing ladders or climbing over people. I talked about responsibility, opportunity, and ability, because when you read this parable, you know what you find? Here's what you find. There are only two kinds of servants in this parable, the faithful and the unfaithful. If you're a child of God, you claim to be a Christian this morning, you are one of only two kinds of servants for God. Either you are faithful or you're foolish. Either you do something for God or you're doing nothing for God. You're either doing something to bring the kingdom of heaven to bear upon this earth or you're doing nothing. And what we know, given the context of this parable, is the second coming of Christ, Christ draws closer and closer as we see the physical signs and reminders of his coming. We are to be occupying ourselves. We need to be busy right up until the time he comes back. 
with faithful, diligently, consistently using whatever gifts, skills, resources, and abilities we have been entrusted with to bring the kingdom of God upon the earth. I'm out of time. Uh, not out of notes, but I'm out of time. So let me just, uh, let me just give, give this to you. Um, whatever it is that God has called you to do, whatever skills, gifts, abilities, resources, whatever God's given you to do that. I want you to know that nothing is too difficult. Nothing is impossible with God. God is able to take everything from the smallest to the greatest and use it to usher in the kingdom of God. The other thing I want to encourage you with this morning is we have a great example of this in Jesus Christ, who was the ultimate. He was the greatest example we have of using the skills, gifts, ability, and resources that God had given and entrusted to him, and through that, he brought salvation to the earth. And, and here's, here's the beautiful thing that I don't want you to miss. It was difficult for Jesus, and it may be difficult for us. I'm not saying that it will be. I'm just saying it may be. Because you realize that for Jesus to do the will of his heavenly Father fully and completely, it, it really demanded his very life. And that's what we celebrate this morning. Jesus Christ was willing to do the Father's will, to do what God had called him to do to usher in the kingdom of God upon this earth to the point that he was willing that his body be broken and his blood be shed to do it. Now that tells me there is, that's the ultimate sacrifice. And I'm not saying that's what you'll be called to do. But I am saying that is what Jesus did. That's how important, that's how uh, crucial the mission that his heavenly father sent him to do. He was willing, if that's what it took, to lay down his life, to have his body broken and his blood shed in order for the will of God to be done upon this earth. That is our example. And again, I'm not saying that's what you'll be called to do. You might be. Oftentimes, I would, when I first became a Christian and I would hear people talk about laying their lives down for God, giving up their lives for God, I'll be honest with you, as a brand new Christian, and I'll even say even today, it's just kind of one of those things that's like going, I don't, man, I just don't, I'm not there. I, I want to say I am, because I, you know, I don't want anybody to think less of me, but I'll be honest, there just are times where I'm thinking, man, I don't, I don't know if I could do that. So I, th th this just beat me up for like the first year of my life as a Christian because I really struggled with this. I just don't know if, if, if it was necessary for me to lay my life down for this. I'm just not sure. I just don't know that I could. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me very, very clearly and said, the reason you can't do it is because I haven't asked you to. When the time comes, when you need to do it, I'll give you the strength and the ability to do. I said, bye-bye guilt, shame, condemnation. 
See, oftentimes we're trying to anticipate and then we react to that. Oh, this, this is going to be too hard, therefore I'm not going to do it because I don't want to fail. So often we use those things rather than saying, you know what, I'm going to follow hard after God and I just know that when I get to that place where I need this particular skill, gift, resource, he'll give it to me or he'll put somebody here that has that that can do it for me. And so this morning as we just uh, close in worship, invite Jason and the worship team back up this morning, I just want you just to think about this. What is it that God's gifted you to do? And don't sit there and say, God hasn't given me anything to do. That is the devil. You need to just tell him to be quiet. Okay, and ask God to speak to you. What is it that God has given you to do? What is it God's calling you to do right now with the gifts, skills, ability, resources he's given you to usher in the kingdom of God upon this earth and to bring honor and glory to your heavenly father? What is that? And then are you being a faithful servant? Isn't that what we want to hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. I want to hear that. And largely, that depends right now with what you're doing with what you've been given. If you're doing nothing with it, you're going to live to regret that. If you're being faithful and diligent with that, you're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. This is the joy of your master. He was willing to lay down his life that God's will be done. Are you willing to lay down your life, to give your life, to say no matter what, no matter what the cost, I am willing to do whatever it is, God, you're calling me to do with whatever you've given to me. No matter how great or small that is, God, I'm willing to be faithful with what you've given to me, even to the point of laying down my life. Again, he who loses his life finds it. That's the paradox of the kingdom. The one who's willing to die lives. That's the paradox of the kingdom. That's what I'm asking you to embrace this morning. Are you willing, as you come and partake of the body, the blood of Christ, who was willing to do all that he did to the point of laying down his life, the breaking of his body, the shedding of his blood, as you think about that part of the kingdom of God that he has for you this morning, are you willing just to say, God, stir up those gifts, those abilities, those resources. God, empower, enable me through the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit to do what you're calling me to do to usher in the kingdom of God upon this earth and to bring honor and glory to you. Are you willing to do that this morning? Here's the invitation. Here's the example. Father, we just thank you this morning. We thank you that Jesus, the greatest servant of all did not come to be served hear that folks you are not here to be served but like Jesus he came to be a servant and to give his life as a ransom for many and father we just thank you for that example we thank you Lord that that was manifested through the broken body the shed blood and so Lord we see the cost and Father, this morning as we just partake of that, we remember and we are so thankful for Christ's obedience. And God, we just ask, Lord, that as we just partake of that this morning, God, that we also would commit our lives to being obedient to whatever it is that you have called, empowered, enabled, and gifted us to do. Right now, the earth is waiting 
for our part of the kingdom of heaven to be unleashed and ushered in. And God, I pray, Lord, that you'll do it through each one of us here this morning. And I just thank you for that, Lord. Make us faithful servants. Let us enter into the joy of our master. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.